The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Xylem, Let's Solve Water. By the American Waterworks Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. By Ziptility, the only app utility crews need to find, fix, and manage infrastructure assets from the field. And by Intera, geoscience and engineering solutions. This is session 182. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. And of course, a very happy holiday to all of you. Thank you so much for being a dedicated group of subscribers and listeners Even during 2020, we all have a lot to be thankful for. Well, we have an awesome, awesome, awesome panel for you today. Kathy Bailey, the Executive Director of the Greater Cincinnati Department of Waterworks. Deborah Coy, Executive in Residence at XPV Water Partners, as well as being involved in a number of other water-related positions. Uh, And Al Cho, Vice President and General Manager at Xylem, join us to review what happened in water in 2020 and what we might expect out of the water sector in 2021. It's a terrific panel, and your your socks are going to get blown off by the insights that that Kathy, Deborah, and Al provide. They are just stellar. Uh, but before we get to that blue ribbon panel, a little housekeeping. Again, a hearty thank you to our sponsors: Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Black and Veatch, Ziptility, and Intera have been our sponsors in 2020. We really appreciate them. Thank you so much to all of you. Uh, at, at Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Black and Veatch, Ziptility, and Intera. Thank you again. And uh, I'd like for you to do me a favor, if you would, please. Consider your kind of holiday gift to me. If you work for or with any of these sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at the sponsor firm and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the water industry um, through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised how far that little simple act of gratitude and kindness and thankfulness can go. It really makes a difference. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know that you appreciate them and their support of the water industry education and thought leadership they're sponsoring here at the Water Values Podcast, why not leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. It would be greatly appreciated. And of course, it helps others find out about the podcast. Well, now it's time to get on to our terrific panel with Kathy Bailey, Deborah Coy, and Al Cho. So let's get that water flowing. Well, welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. We have a great panel for you today for our annual Year in Water episode. We have Kathy Bailey, Executive Director of the Greater Cincinnati Waterworks Department. Deborah Coy, executive in residence at XPV Water Partners and has been there for over 10 years, in addition to a number of other positions held in the water industry. And we have Al Cho, the, the chief strategy and digital officer at Xylem. If I went through each of these individuals' uh, CVs, we would run out of time um, uh, for this episode. So I'm just going to keep it at a very high level introduction, but it is a very esteemed panel and we're so glad you guys could be on today. Uh, Kathy, Deborah, Al, how are you? 
Excellent. Excellent. Well, let's start off this episode uh, where we're going to talk about 2020 and what a year it's been. Uh, I, th- I don't think we can begin to talk about 2020 unless we start with COVID. It has been uh, the dominant headline, uh, even if the presidential election took over for a little while, it's been the dominant headline throughout 2020. And, and Kathy, I want to I get the benefit of your experience and your perspective as the head of a major American utility. Uh, how, how has COVID impacted the Greater Cincinnati Waterworks Department? Sure, thank you. Um, COVID, boy, you know, what a mess, right? But <laughs> COVID, COVID has hit us in so, so many different ways. Um, definitely hit our employees and, and what can we do to keep them safe? You know, it, I think we have a long list of 40, 45 different things that we have now put in place to make sure that we can keep our employees safe on the job, you know, as well as, you know, just remind them that that we are in this and and that is our number one priority to keep you safe. So we have, you know, no longer have crews riding together in trucks. They're one person per vehicle. You know, we've installed different things in the restroom so that you no longer have to touch the handles. You can use your foot to open the door. Um, We have tons of signs throughout our facilities for those employees who are still coming in the buildings. Um, We send them regular messages to let them know what's going on and what we're doing to keep them safe, you know? And so definitely we've made some significant strides in trying to keep employees safe, but then we also have to turn, you know, turn to what can we do to help our customers? And right away, it was important for me to let our customer base know, we're not going to shut you off. You know, you need water in the middle of a pandemic and, and rest assured, we will not be doing shutoffs due to delinquency. We also needed to let them know, you know, we recognize that you will probably be late on your bills. And so we're not going to charge you late fees, you know, and just a a month ago, we recognized that we're going to be in this much longer. And we know that many of our customers can't afford their bills. And so we put in place a water um, forgiveness program, water service forgiveness program. And so with that, you know, any of their charges after they qualify, any charges from March to September, we're willing to forgive those water service charges, you know, after they qualify as either low income or being greatly impacted by COVID. And and so for customers, you know, we, we needed to do that. It's the right thing to do for our community. And so now we turn our, our attention to, you know, revenue, right? And <laughs> as we're in this much longer for COVID, what does our revenue, revenue look like? And I've said this plenty of places, um, our revenue right now is not looking bad. It's okay, but, but we're still surviving and, and flying high off of what we saw happen in the summer. And that was most of our community base and our customers were buying those baby pools and putting them up here and there, you know, and so they were using water left and right. And so we're still seeing, you know, the benefit of that. And so our revenue is not looking bad right now. However, we still don't know what 2021 will bring us. And so, we're doing our best to, you know, reserve and have things in reserve um, to be mindful of what COVID will possibly bring us in the next year. And so, you, you know, you're right. We can't talk about 2020 without COVID, but certainly those are some things that we're doing um, to help keep our employees safe, to not only do that, but to certainly help our customers and then to consider what our revenue might look like in the future. 
Well, I, that, that's a very broad brush. I love I love some of the um, things that you've done, how to pr- protect your employees, because it's really hard to run a system if you don't have your employees with you. Al, I, I'm very curious about, uh, you know, how you have seen your clients and, and utilities affected by COVID. Uh, is it is it in line with what Kathy's talked about or what, what is what is your perspective on all this? It's great to see you, David. Um, the, um, the picture, I think, is uh, exactly what um, Kathy has laid out. And I just want to start by uh, thanking her and all of her uh, peers around the sector for what can only be described as uh, heroism during 2020. You know, if you think about the story of the year, um, it's not only that there was a tremendous uh, pandemic-related uh, crisis that shaped uh, most of the sectors of our economy, but it's also that uh, water services and wastewater services continued largely to flow uninterrupted because people like Kathy and the teams that report to her uh, were able to adapt and uh, thrive under extraordinary circumstances. And so um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that the real story of 2020 was the dedication and cooperation across the industry um, that made the, uh, the the history of 2020 not one about water crisis um, and uh, one instead about the ongoing reliability of the services that um, our utilities uh, in the United States provides to their communities every day. Um, with respect to the revenue picture, I think, um, uh, you know, Kathy is exactly right. I think at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a broader conversation about the financial impact um, on the sector. Uh, there were a number of studies by um, AMWA and AQUA, among others. And, um, you know, I think it's too early to draw conclusions around the medium-term impact. Um, when you look back to the recession, many of the impacts were not felt in the, the first kind of year of onset, but in the years that came afterwards. So I think it's too early to say, but a couple of things are clear. I think the first is that the impact has been um, highly variable. It hasn't been you know, a, a uniform uh, reduction in revenues across the country. Um, it depends a lot on demography, um, around kind of where activity has shifted. Uh, it also depends on some of the choices that were made between the last recession and this one uh, with respect to rate structures that are more resilient to shifts in volume and, and demand. In fact, I was looking back at this really interesting report um, that uh, Worf came out with in 2009. Um, it was called Surviving and Thriving After an Economic Recession. As you look through their executive summary, um, the points could be written about today. The downturn has not treated all water utilities equally. You know, the utilities have employed a broad range of strategies, and many of them have exploited opportunities. Um, and that these opportunities have, in some cases, been a boon to utilities that have been able to make use of them. And the the conclusion I think that's probably the most interesting from that report and is relevant today is that utilities with long-term plans in place were a bit more resilient, ones that invested in IT or uh, uh, training technologies for their people um, were able to adapt uh, more flexibly last time and this time. The one difference I think between um, 2009 and 2020 is actually the maturity of some of the digital solutions that created more flexibility, um, both operationally and financially for utilities. If you had told a number of management teams that they would be able to operate with, you know, 40 to 60% fewer people on site without a hiccup, I think some of them probably wouldn't have believed you. 
but in practice, that is what many of them have been able to do. And while there are strains and challenges associated with that, that we've heard from a number of our, uh, our friends across the industry, you know, the reality is that um, I don't think we're ever going to go back. And in fact, the kind of value propositions associated with the uh, adoption of technologies that enable greater flexibility and resilience are, are now uh, even better established than they were before. Yeah, the great, great perspective. How about how about you, Deborah? Yeah, I think it's been really interesting to watch. Uh, I agree with Kathy and with Al that the um, you know the early expectations of of steep revenue declines and uh, disruption in the water sector uh, appear to have been overstated. I I think, and this is true of water generally. As, as Al said and Kathy's demonstrated, you know, it's, it's a highly resilient industry. You know, they survive hurricanes and, and wildfires as well as pandemics and keep on going. I mean, that's sometimes to our detriment as well in terms of uh, public awareness of the importance of the sector, but it has kept on. Um, what, I, what I wonder about uh, and this has been touched on is, you know, what's going on beneath the surface. And I, I fear that some of what we have seen is a widening of the divide between the, the haves and have nots, if you will. And that's partly on the utility side where some utilities are better capitalized um, or in, in stronger growth, you know, segments of the country where they have made the investments that they've made and made the adjustments that they've made versus others have had a harder time. I think that's also true across the, the customer base. You know, one of the one of the longstanding issues that I feel that we have that's been really exposed by COVID is the, the inequities in, in terms of ability to pay. There's a lot of discussion about affordability in the sector the truth is that most customers don't have a hard time affording their water bill relative to their other their other household costs or utilities, but certainly some do. And and we've certainly seen the impact of the pandemic has been much greater on on uh, lower income and service workers. And we're also now just seeing the the tailing off, if you will, of, of a lot of the support programs that kept the economy from really tanking. And whether it's not only water shutoffs, but also rent and eviction notices and all of the things that have cut across the whole sector, um, I think we're still going to go through, particularly with the surge in cases that we're seeing now and, and winter coming on in lots of parts of the country, the, the disruptions uh, that all of this brings are probably yet ahead. And, and for a lot of utilities, I'm, I'm interested in your views on this, Kathy, in particular. You know, uh, as you say, you know, revenues hold up okay, and, you know, we're not making people who can't pay you know, pay their bill, but, you know, how do we address that over the longer term in terms of rate structures that are more sustainable in terms of supporting, you know, the, the, the segment of the, of the customer base that needs it? So 
I think it's a really interesting time that has, like I said, exposed, you know, some of these underlying issues that are important for the sector going forward. Kathy, I, 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 I'd love to hear your perspective on water equity and the affordability issues that Deborah raised, because I, I know Cincinnati has been a leader in the water equity space and uh, it would be, it would be great to, to hear, you know, what, what you've done and what your thoughts are on water equity. Sure. You know, you know it, it's a, it's an interesting topic, you know, and I think it's why I try to stay close to it because it's evolving so much, you know, but just the thought of, you know, water equity, meaning that, you know, all communities and all neighborhoods within those communities can share in that whole economic, social, environmental, you know, benefit of a water system. And, and, that sounds fluffy to say, but that's huge if we can do that, right, and and mean it, right? Not just say it out loud, but put some actions behind it to mean it. And certainly that's something that, that we're striving to do. We're trying to understand, you know, the lack of, of water equity in in our community base, in our, in, in our region. And once we understand it, what will we do about it? And so we have definitely tried to look at our data and look where we're doing shutoffs. And are we doing shutoffs, you know, in certain neighborhoods more than others? We, you know, we had a situation that kind of sparked it for us, which was a, a city councilwoman um, challenged us and basically said, I truly believe that you're doing more shutoffs of water service in black neighborhoods than you are in white neighborhoods. And so initially, you know, our reaction is, oh, here we go again. You know, when some, somebody's making this accusation and that's just not the case. And so I encouraged and challenged employees to follow the data, look at the data and see what it tells us. And at the end of the day, yes, we were doing that, you know, for various reasons on how we rolled our trucks and the priorities of how we, you know, prioritized our work each day. It turned out that, that more times than not, we were doing more shutoffs in neighborhoods that were predominantly African-Americans you know, versus anyone else. And so now that we knew that, what were we going to do about it? How are we going to change some of our practices to not make that be true? And and we did. We changed some of our processes and steps in our shutoff process to do that. But that's just one example. You know, how can we make lead service line replacements affordable? How can we make the actual bill affordable? How can we recognize and understand that there are pockets of people who due to systemic racism practices over the many years before us, you know, that, that they are not still able to afford, you know, their, their living arrangements, their lifestyle and, and struggle to afford that. And, and now we put a water bill on top of that. And so for us, it really just, it comes down to this. It comes down to us needing to know, more of the dynamics and the characteristics of the people we serve. And once we know that, then I feel that we can come to the table better equipped to have solutions that better fit their needs. And so that's why we were able to put a customer assistance program, you know, attached to our lead service line replacement program. That's how we were able to put together a water forgiveness program very quickly that's why we will be able to look at, you know, a leak forgiveness program because we know that 
Many that are still struggling to pay their bills are also those that have older pipes and likely have leaks and then can't afford the replacement of the leak, et cetera. And, and to me, you know, that just comes with us trying to understand the characteristics of the 52 neighborhoods that we serve in other regions, you know, other sections of our, of our region. You know, it's important that we now know the people and in past practices for water utilities, we didn't need to know who the people were or the characteristics of the groups that we served. But now in order for us to better serve them, it's going to take us knowing who we serve and, and what's at the heart of, of, you know, what they're dealing with for us to have solutions that align with their lifestyles and better fit the needs of our community. And I think that's, that's going to be important for everyone, you know, who is trying to grapple with affordability solutions you're going to have to know the ins and outs of the people you serve so that you can bring the best solutions to the table um, to meet their needs. Wow. What a great response. I, I, that was, that hit the nail on the head. Thanks so much, Kathy. I don't want to give short shrift to water equity, uh, but we have a lot on our plate um, to, to get to. And one of the other things I, I had on my radar was uh, the impact of COVID on regionalism, consolidation, things of that nature. And Al, you kind of you kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, what, what, are you are you thinking that COVID is going to spur a wave of uh, regionalism or consolidation or transactions where utilities look for efficiencies and combine? Or what is what is your perspective on all that? Well, I think whenever you see a um disruption in an industry, um, you know, molecules become unstable and combine in interesting ways. And so, you know, I wouldn't uh, draw a, uh, a bright line between um, COVID and the ensuing economic uh, impact and um, a wave of consolidation in the sector, because I'm not sure things move that fast. Um, but what I do think you can uh, posit coming out of this is that the economic and operational constraints uh, associated with COVID and the post-pandemic environment um, have left everybody looking for uh, more levers to ensure that the uh, level of service and the environmental impacts of operations um, are uh, maintained um, in a world of greater uh, fiscal uh, constraints. Kathy alluded to that a bit in terms of making sure that there are some reserves and um, I think pretty much every organization on the planet is asking similar questions, which is in a very unpredictable, you know, near-term environment, what can we do to, ma- to maximize the flexibility of choices that we have? And so I think um, with respect to the theme on consolidation, you may see some municipalities exploring uh, outright privatization of their systems, but equally I think you're going to look for uh, a, a range of options that achieve similar outcomes around um, improved uh, efficiency through collaboration with neighboring utilities. I think you saw a lot of that happening at the beginning with you know, mutual assistance and uh, individuals really stepping in to help neighboring utilities manage their challenges. And I think that that is actually uh, probably a, a more direct impact from this event, which is um, you're going to see greater degrees of regional collaboration um, carved into the patterns of activity that have occurred during this crisis with more and more shared infrastructure, more and more shared um, uh, uh, systems and uh, collaboration, which will help utilities 
both uh, become more financially and operationally resilient. I think we're also seeing an appetite for more models of collaboration and potential uh, consolidation in the sector, which don't necessarily um, involve a loss of um, uh, political ownership or oversight. You know, I'd point to uh, you know, the EJ Water Cooperative in Illinois, which has been working on extending their service umbrella to more and more communities in a nonprofit cooperative model, which uh, has a lot of advantages for communities that are looking for the advantages of scale uh, without necessarily uh, privatizing their systems. And so there are a lot of different directions that I think you'll see emerge, um, but really the, uh, the driving factor will be where can collaboration create more options and choices, both financially and operationally. Yeah, very sound, great perspective on that. Deborah, do you have thoughts on on the whole issue of collaboration, regionalism, and consolidation? Yeah, I I, I think it's something that the industry has has needed for a long time in the U.S. We are very fragmented, and there's a lot of a lot of trying to reinvent the wheel. And as I said earlier, I think that's particularly negatively impacting a lot of the smaller utilities out there. I agree with Al that a lot of the action is on that regional um, municipal to municipal support. Um, the, the privately owned utility is still a relatively small part of the market in the U.S., um, only about 15, 17% on the drinking water side and even less on wastewater. But there's a tremendous amount of capital that's available and that's becoming apparent to some um, to some systems that need capital and and I think that we're seeing a different approach to consolidation in other words it really is as Al said it's consolidation of of services and back office if you will the support it's not necessarily the old way of thinking about it was to to regionalize and consolidate, you know, the actual treatment systems and, and physical infrastructure to be more centralized. I think we're actually seeing more of a move toward more, decent, particularly in newer development areas, such as I'm, I'm on the board of a water utility in Arizona, and it's a lot of development of small systems, but they're more centrally managed, which is more efficient, and we have a lot of technology now around remote monitoring and even remote operations so that it doesn't require as, as many people on the ground for a lot of small systems. So I think that technology is enabling a combination of decentralization plus consolidation uh, in, in various regions to particularly help small utilities um, work better for their customers. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Kathy, what are what is your perspective on this? Well, certainly, you know, I, I totally agree with both. Um, and, and, you know, just briefly, it's been a long time coming in some places, you know, that, that we likely should have been looking at more regionalism and, and solutions, you know, that, that would fit, you know, a broader area. Um, and, and I just think, you know, it, it has knocked it out the water that, that now is the time, you know, and we know that a lot of small and medium utilities struggle with some of the, you know, the things that they need to put in place, either due to regulations or, you know, just needing to maintain their infrastructure. But I think, you know, with everything that's going on now, affordability, COVID, and other issues that were already plaguing us, you know, from day to day, 
I, I think we're going to see more opportunities for regionalism. Um, that is going to be an improvement, no doubt. It can be it can be a challenge because some areas don't want to engage or go into you know a regional solution. But I think at the end of the day, as more of our customer base understands the value of water and the opportunities that are in front of us, I think some of them will also push for there to be more regionalism, which then you know at the end of the day will help all of us that are involved. Yeah, yeah, that's a, all. Three of you gave absolutely fantastic. Uh, answers to that because i think that the you know regionalism and collaboration are to me that is what is it is really going to be coming down the pike and it's gonna it's it's going to be what helps our utilities uh, survive and thrive in the future uh speaking of the future uh you know kathy mentioned regulation uh one of the we we're going to have a new president a new administration coming in in 2021 when you look ahead what do you see uh, coming out of of the uh, the new administration, um, Al? I think I'd like to turn to you first. Um, no, actually, let's tell you what we we've we had Al first last time. Deborah, how about we ask you what your thoughts are for the incoming administration and what's gonna what's gonna be coming up next uh, in the in the water sector? I'm, that's a big 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 ask, but. <laughs> The reason I'm laughing is that you can yeah, ask me. I'm the one that's based in the Washington area, and I'm sure I'm the most cynical. <laughs> having having watched it through a number of administrations, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's an interesting time for sure. You know, the the big focus, of course, um, is on stimulus and whether we're going to get infrastructure as part of stimulus, as we did um, during the. Obama administration that came after the last recession, um, I'm frankly a little skeptical. Uh, and that that has to do with the fact that a lot of, uh, a lot of money's been spent already uh, to the tune of around $7 trillion. The federal government has already put to work on the monetary and fiscal side. And so I think the... Um, the opportunities for the Biden administration to spend a lot are going to be limited, but they've already laid out their key priorities. Um, obviously, COVID number one, the economy number two, and racial injustice number three, and climate change number four. And I think it's up to the water sector to figure out how we fit into that. And that's where the, that's where the focus is going to be around, I think, both spending and regulation. Um, from the regulatory side, per se, I think the focus is going to be on just simply rebuilding the agencies, whether it's the Environmental Protection Agency or Interior or the other, uh, the other agencies that impact water. There's been a lot of disruption as the Trump administration made an effort to downsize government. So I think the first order of business is going to be rebuilding some of that, um, continuing some of the work that's already being done on, on lead and copper, uh, lead line replacement. That's a big fight even right now as the Trump administration is, is outgoing, something that even the current EPA wanted to accomplish and and then whether they'll be able to bring back some of the things that this administration um, killed, like 
waters of the United States, which really doesn't impact our utility sector so much as it does ag and other things. So I, I feel that, you know, figuring out, you know, how, how we, how we play into a economic recovery point of view to Kathy's earlier point in terms of, you know, how we, how we make equity and justice work across all of our customers. You know, it's a, they're, they're big concepts. They're difficult. You know, how do we make that real? But I think if the water industry can figure out some ideas around that and some programs around that, there may be new sources of funding and new sources of not only government funding, but creative private sector funding that will come into our sector in terms of rebuilding back in different ways. So I think it's a really interesting time. I don't think it's going to be business as usual. I think it's going to have, I think it's going to be thinking about, thinking about how the water sector participates in some of these issues in new ways versus the traditional, versus the traditional ways of looking for more plain vanilla infrastructure stimulus money. Yeah. Yeah. So Kathy, how about you? What are you looking for in the upcoming administration? You know, are we going to see infrastructure bills as, as Deborah, you know, pointed out or what, what is your, what are your thoughts on the incoming Biden administration? You know, I'm encouraged in many ways, you know, Biden has many, many small plans. He certainly has the four top initiatives, but then they trickle down to all these smaller plans, you know, and so my dear president letter looks, looks a little different from a perspective of, you know, I've been studying some of those, those lower plans and, and you can find water, wastewater, stormwater, water in general in, in all of those plans, you know, and, and, you know, I think it's our time. It's time for, for, you know, the administration to realize water is life and, and just recognize what we need and how we need it. You know, we certainly need the funding to maintain our infrastructure, but, but, there's so many other ways that that water comes into play. You know, when he talks about, you know, strengthening and understanding and supporting the essential worker, it's like, you got to be kidding me that we are not essential workers, you know, and so recognize that and move forward to, you know, to say that, that we are essential workers and we're that front line, first line of defense. We should be in that in that category. So do things like that. When he, when he talks about plans to help and honor older Americans and retirement. Well, water is related to that, too, because we need to honor them and, and make sure that they don't have these outstanding and high bills that they need to pay and they can afford them. You know, when we, he talks about investing in infrastructure, where absolutely, you know, our infrastructure needs to be invested in. He talks about racial equity. Okay, so to so recognize that there's practices that extend all the way to the water and wastewater industry that are divided by race. And and we need to do something about that in, in our industry as well. You know, so each one of the smaller plans that he, you know, talks about and has a, a plan for, you know, I quite honestly, I see water and, and wastewater in each one of those plans. And so I'm certainly going to be looking for and trying my best to, 
you know, help push push agendas that that lets that be recognized, and and certainly we can get some movement in the water utility industry. It is time for us to rise up and have people recognize who we are and what we do, and that we play a role in everything that you know our nation does. And so honor that, respect that, and you know put some money behind everything you know that 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 um that needs to be done you know as as a rapper said you know put some respect on that check so in <laughs> our case put some respect on what we do and and be there and and recognize that it is our time for you to recognize all that we bring to the table and make sure that we have the funding and the resources to do what we need to do for our communities couldn't have said it better that was that was terrific al you got a you got big shoes to fill, follow on that one um what, what are you looking for out of the, the Biden administration? Gosh, well, I, um, uh, I, I won't um, pretend to be able to fill uh, Kathy Bailey's shoes or Deborah Coy's, but I will share um, maybe a couple of complimentary observations. Um, you know, the first is I think there are some things that will stay the same. Um, we have, I'll go on a limb here and say that water has the good fortune of being one of the areas where there still exists a reasonable bipartisan consensus on the importance of investing in better water infrastructure. And so, you know, I think there's some work that happened over the course of the last, you know, uh, period that includes uh, an emphasis on water reuse, uh, kind of an emphasis on smart water, and kind of a continued um, work around thinking about how the federal government can better coordinate its water activities, um, the creation of a water subcabinet. You know, those are reflective, I think, of a broader consensus that exists in the sector that there are certain things that America just needs. And so I, I think um, regardless of party or administration, um, I hope that we will continue to see action on water reuse, uh, the digitization of water, and uh, coordination around um, programs and activities that support the sector. I would maybe underscore what both Kathy and Deborah said about intent. When you read, um, you know, clearly the Build Back Better priorities around COVID, economic recovery, racial equity, and climate change, I think the way that I read that is that the water industry needs to look for and articulate the ways that investing in water as one of the most important foundational services advances um, all four of those different areas. And, you know, as a consequence, you can see um, an action plan around things like decarbonization and resilience in infrastructure around infrastructure equity uh, mapping and affordability around uh, stimulus programs that generate you know good jobs and things like wastewater surveillance and epidemiology um, those are all areas where you know i think you can see a pivotal role for our sector in advancing policy objectives that have been articulated by the incoming administration and where i hope investment will continue to flow you know to deborah's point around cynicism i think one of the challenges will be that despite a bipartisan consensus around the importance of infrastructure, you know, there will be probably a dialogue around the fiscal space for investment. And I think really the question that um, you know, I hope all of us are grappling with is how do we continue to make the case for why investments in infrastructure and water in particular drive the kind of economic benefits that everybody can agree on with respect to the reliable creation of good jobs um, and policy objectives that uh, people of all political stripes can support. One of the areas that I think is in the sweet spot there is you know, the digitization of water infrastructure. 
about you know 10 years ago again going back to the last recession we saw a really big emphasis on the modernization of the electric grid as a way to use investment to catalytically modernize the electric infrastructure in the united states i think that's one of those areas where if we care about decarbonization if we care about affordability you know putting a couple of um, programs in place to accelerate the adoption of advanced technologies that can again improve outcomes at lower cost could be one of the sweet spots where we find consensus around uh, infrastructure finance and uh, support awesome I, I, wow deborah kathy and al you guys just knocked it out of the park uh, that's why i love talking to people who are smarter than me because the perspectives you offer are just uh uh, absolutely terrific and get me thinking in different ways. So I really appreciate all of you coming on. Uh, it has been a wonderful conversation to have with you. Uh, before we, before we sign off here though, one fun question, we started this, this, uh, what's going to become a tradition now is one fun question I'd like to end with is, uh, you can watch one movie with your family over the holidays what movie you're going to watch. And let's start with Kathy, Kathy, what, uh, what would be your movie to watch with your family over the holidays? Um, I think for me, it's a movie. It's called This Christmas, um, and it's got, you know, it's got some some top um, actors and and actresses in it. But the the point of it for me is family, and it, it's all around family. And, and it's a movie where the family isn't perfect, but they're family, and they they just lean in and they take care of each other. And they're there for each other. And I think that's something that's very important and one that we'll definitely be watching this season. Awesome. Al, how about you? Uh, for me, it's the Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, <laughs> I love the story and I love the Muppets. So uh, it's a good combo. Oh, nice. Reminds me of being a kid. Very good. Uh, Deborah, how about you? I want to watch Chinatown. Um, oh, I love China. Not a Christmas movie, but it is a water movie. Yep. And uh, I was just thinking about it recently, actually. I haven't watched it for years. Um, it's a fantastic movie, and I don't think my kids have seen it. So yeah. that's a family movie I'm going to dig out this holiday season. That's awesome. What a, I, I love Chinatown. I love all those movies. So thank you so much for coming on. Deborah, Deborah Coy. Kathy Bailey, Alcho, you guys have been tremendous. And thank you so much for taking time out of this busy holiday season to come on and share your thoughts on where we've been in 2020 and what to look forward to in 2021. Thank you so much. Thank you. You bet. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. All right. Have a great holiday, everyone. Bye now. All right. Bye-bye. Wow is all I can say. I mean... Deborah, Kathy, and Al provided some incredible insights. I love speaking with people who are smarter than me because it not only provides me with fresh perspectives that I can use to, you know, come up with new guests for you or to, to you know, help my practice or, or what have you, but it also invigorates me uh, and, and makes me want to be better. And hopefully you found that, that too. I, I cannot thank Deborah, Kathy, and Al enough for spending some time with me and, and recording that podcast. It was great to have them all on the line at the same time and, and hear their insights. Well, let me know what you liked about the podcast. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values and tweet at me using my handle at DTM one nine nine three. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter at uh, the the landing page on the Bluefield uh, Research website, just Google the Water Values podcast. 
and go to the podcast page on Bluefield, and then you can you can sign up for the newsletter. It gets sent out twice a month, except uh, the month of July. So it's only twenty two episode twenty two newsletters a year. We're not going to spam you, but it's it's got really valuable um, information in it. And I've I, I've heard, received several um, uh, indications that you guys really enjoy that newsletter and and the information that that comes out in it. So thank you so much for subscribing. And again, thank you for tuning in, and a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, the sponsors of the Water Values Podcast for 2020 include Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Black & Veatch, Ziptility, and Intera. Without those five organizations, again, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Black & Veatch, Ziptility, and Intera, you wouldn't have the Water Values Podcast this year. So thank you so much. It's greatly appreciated. And of course, happy holidays to all of you. Please be safe, and we'll see you next year trying to bring you the best guests and topics in the water industry. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.